Y'all have seen babies before, right? Right? Yeah? You've seen a baby, right? Have you ever hold a bit, held a baby? Held a baby? Anyone? Good. I know. Makeleys, you have. Yes? All four of those. Yep. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. No. Um, but uh, when you look at a baby and you hold a baby, I mean, if you're like me, you look at the baby and you kind of make goofy faces at it, right? And, and you may come up with some different names for the baby and you say, oh, you look so beautiful or oh, so handsome, handsome man, you know. And you may like tickle their feet and point out the rolls in their thighs and look at those cheeks, you know, all the things that would give them a complex if they were older. Like it's not appropriate to go up to a, a teenager and say, you have got big cheeks. Like that's not going to fly but for some reason, for a baby, it goes. And we say all those things, but nose, that kind of stuff. My grandma O'Shea, the one, uh, one whom I just uh, prayed for, and she will kill me for bringing up this story, but um, when uh, it, she's from Queens, New York. Anyone know where Queens, New York is at? And then moved to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and has been there for, you know, decades, but still has that old Queens attitude. And, and, and when she, she would say two things when she would meet a baby, uh, either or. She would either look at this baby and say, oh, so precious. Or she would look at the baby and say, oh, this is so beautiful. And the thing is, is that when she would say, oh, so precious, she would tell anybody, and she would freely offer this information up to everyone, if I say that your baby looks precious, I mean it looks like someone sat on its face when it was a baby, <laughs> like just this ugly looking baby. But if I say it's beautiful, it means that baby's gorgeous. And all three of my children were, were deemed beautiful by Grandma O'Shea, so thanks be to God. She said I look precious, but that's another story. No. Have you ever heard the saying, you have the face of an angel? Have you ever said that to a baby or to another person? You have the face of an angel. It's an old saying. It's not one that gets thrown around that much anymore. And when you say to somebody or a baby or just a grown person, you have the face of an angel, what you're saying is that your face is kind of cherub-like, baby-like. It, it's good. It's, it's wonderful. You're, you, you know, something to be adored, blameless, innocent, all the things. Well, in true fashion, spoiler alert, I'm going to give away the sermon. So we probably could leave after this if you'd like. I've got more. But at the end of our passage in Acts today, we're looking at chapter 6, 8 through 15. We're in the middle of this kind of Stephen saga. We, and, and you were introduced to Stephen last week by Tom. How many of you are familiar with Stephen before last week? You kind of know, you've heard of him. Yeah, he's kind of, he's known. He's the first martyr, first recorded martyr, someone to die for the faith. Uh, so he gets, he gets a little snippet here, but he's very, very important. Well, at the end of our passage, verse 15, it says that the, 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 the court in which he's in front of says that his face was that of an angel. He had the face of an angel. And that doesn't mean that they were looking at him thinking, oh, He's innocent, he's blameless, look at him, as we'll find out, he's, he's in a bit of hot water. But what they are seeing is the effect of Stephen truly knowing Jesus Christ, having experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ, having a faith in who Jesus is, having the eyes to see him, having the ears to hear him, having the ears to hear Christ call his name into the faith, all the things. He is 
with the Lord in this moment, and he has seen him, and he is living out that faith in front of these people. That's what is meant by having this face of an angel. Now, as I said, this is the section in Acts where, 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 where we're learning about Stephen. It's really going to take us from 6, 7, 8, and a little bit into 9. And, and Stephen dies. Another spoiler alert. Well, we'll see here. I know, really. Like, well, I'm not coming to church next week. Well, but no. So eventually, Stephen, Stephen is, is stoned. He's martyred. Uh, and at the same time, what's happening in this section of Acts, we're getting the, the boom. We're getting the, the expansion. The church is now ex exploding beyond Jerusalem. It's getting beyond that. And one commentator that I read said it's very interesting that Luke, as he's writing this, about the expansion of the church, the great, whoosh, here goes, that we also have the story of Stephen being persecuted and killed for the faith running right alongside it. Anytime that the church has a great expansion, it seems that persecution's running right along with it. And that's, that's something that we should not ever um, forget. It kind of goes hand in hand. The message that we know, the message that Stephen knows, the truth of the gospel, it gets into people's stuff. It gets into people's stuff. It pokes at authorities. It causes a ruckus. And it can become a, a source of contention for folks. Stephen's been introduced already, as said last week. He was someone that was uh, part of the seven people that were called out to do the charitable arm of the church. And they were, they were designated men that were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. <clears throat> and that is very key. These were not just random folks that they just picked. These were folks who were the kind of the first fruits of the apostles' discipleship efforts. Stephen's not an apostle. He's someone that has come into the faith because of what the apostles have done. And so now they have, he is, he is, him and the seven, uh, six others have shown such maturity in faith, such uh, whatever it is in their lives, that they have been handpicked and selected to take on an office of the church. And so we know that there's something significant here with Stephen, full of spirit and wisdom. And then today we get another notch to that. Not only is he full of spirit and wisdom, but he's also full of grace and power. Because not only does he serve wherever he goes, but he courageously bears witness to the truth of Christ. He is someone who has caused a ruckus. If you have notes, if you're taking notes, you want to write down, let me be someone who causes a ruckus. Because anyone in the New Testament who does that, who stirs things up because of their bold witness, is doing exactly what Christ is wanting them to do. Not purposely trying to have chaos, but to be so bold and to be so in step with, with Christ and the message that you're just, you, don't, you don't have a fear of what authorities and what the world and what others may say about it. You're just keeping on with the truth of the gospel. Just like Jesus did in the face of adversity and just like the apostles did as we saw in the beginning of Acts. Stephen's doing the same. 
We've seen thus far, it's a reoccurring theme in Acts, that when they come into the awareness of the Holy Spirit and the, and the truth of the gospel, it propels them forward into bold, courageous, and, and witness of, of, of who Jesus is. And the great thing about Stephen is that he was an apostle. He's a normal Joe Schmo, just like you and me. And yet, he is doing amazing, awesome things because he is both full of wisdom and of the Spirit and full of grace and full of power. He has the face of an angel because of his faithful witness. And so for you today, what I want you to walk away with is that a faithful witness is one that has the face of an angel. So you're going to walk out of here with the face of an angel. Isn't that wonderful? Go up to people and say, hey, my face, this mug is that of an angel. <laughs> you know, get something on your cell phone that has the choir voices so it can sing as you walk around. And people are like, oh, wow, you do have the face of an angel. That's what we're going to look at today. So, let's dive in. Let's look at Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. Let's see what's going on with Stephen. Thus far, all we know is he's one of the seven that was picked, full of spirit and wisdom, and is in charge of organizing the charitable arm of the church. But now Luke now brings some light more in to Stephen because Stephen's not just taking care of charity. He's boldly living out his life as one who knows Jesus. Look at verse 7 real quick. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is how I know a ruckus is about to start. Because if, think about it, if you were a priest and in that group of, of people, learned guys who studied scriptures, who are really getting agitated with this movement that's happening because this movement seems to kind of knock at what I think is true and what I think is right. And then all of a sudden you see your friends kind of one by one say, no, I think this is right. And they leave your, your little company there. Do you get the sense of panic that is happening here with these guys? You're getting a sense of like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we were on the same page and, and now you are leaving. This has to stop. This is now going beyond where it's okay. We're losing some of our own. Then in chapter, uh, or verse uh, 8, it says this. So that Stephen, who is full of spirit and wisdom, is now also full of grace or faith depending on the version you're reading, and power, and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, up until now, only the apostles are doing signs and wonders among the people. But somehow, through Stephen's bold and courageous living, he is doing signs and wonders too. He's doing amazing things that are causing attention. And some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those of uh, Cilicia and Asia, they rose up against and disputed with Stephen. So, my favorite word, some religious muckety-mucks, they get together, they're getting upset, and they rise up and dispute against Stephen. Stephen should be afraid. All these very learned people, Stephen's new to the faith, presumably, 
And this is what Luke says. But the Machidimachs could not withstand, could not withstand, circle that, the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, which means they could not come up with a valid argument to dispute Stephen. That's what it means there, meaning they could not withstand the wisdom. They couldn't formulate a counter-argument. Have you ever been in that situation where you're arguing with somebody else, most likely a sibling or a spouse, where you are arguing with it and you have your stance and your spouse has the other stance and you know pretty darn well, okay, this is just me and Carrie, you know pretty darn well that, that my stance is wrong and Carrie's stance is right, but I'm going to still hold the line because, yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to win this argument, right? Of course, you don't want to do that, man. You don't want to do that because if you win the argument, you ultimately lose. We all know this. So, this is where they're at. Stephen is coming at them with biblical wisdom and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And they, they, they're, they're scrambling. They can't come up with something to go against them. So, this is what they do. They panic. They do something out of character. They do something that I didn't realize until talking to someone after the first service. They do something that is actually against their biblical law. It says here that they secretly instigated men, verse 11, who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, which means they found folks and coerced them to bear false witness against Stephen. Now, Stephen, if Stephen, I'm, 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 I, this is me assuming, if Stephen is living out his life as a bold witness for the gospel of Christ, then in his message, as we have seen already before in Acts, there would be things that Jesus is the greater, is greater than Moses. That's a truth statement. Doesn't mean Moses is bad. It just means Moses was just one element into one person in this entire redemption thing of Jesus being the, the cornerstone, the capstone to the whole thing. So that would have been a true statement. He would have said that Jesus is, came from God, the Son of God, and God and Jesus are, are co-equal together. He would have had that type of raw theology there that would have flown in the face of the Jewish folks because that would seem blasphemous to God. But we know it's a true statement. And that he's better than the temple. We know that's a true statement. But what these people do is they twist those words and they come before the court and they stir up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, the council. Sanhedrin being the same people who sentenced Jesus to death, who also had the apostles in front of them as well. And they set up a false witness who said, the man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So they, they twist his words, they, they meddle to try to get near truths and begin to sway now the public around them to think, oh yeah, this Stephen's bad news. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. All right, so what does all this mean? Stephen, 
faithful witness, face of an angel, causes a ruckus, false witnesses come about. It's kind of like, a, okay, here we go again. Here we go again. It's a person who has come into the faith, who has experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ and is boldly living that out and, and just, you know, all the live long day, Jesus is great. And it is poking at the authority. It is agitating the bear. And so they are rising up the authority and they are getting upset. You are peeing in my cornflakes. Please stop. And so the reoccurring theme, Jesus and the apostles, I mean, truly, let's just say what it is. In the first service, because they, I, the first service, I said it was like eating popcorn. Y'all ever eat popcorn? And you get that kernel that wedges in underneath your teeth, and it's just there, and you just can't get at it? That happened on my way back from, from, from Florida, and Carrie gave me floss, and I had to drive with, like, my knees and try to floss. I mean, people thought I was crazy. But, I mean, it's spot welded underneath. That's, this is the, the, the authority. They are agitated. They are annoyed. They are angry. You are messing with the system, and it has to stop. Why? How could anyone look at what Stephen, the apostles, and Jesus are doing and have done and look at it and say it was bad? What are they guilty of? Serving the poor? Helping out widows and orphans? Healing people of sicknesses? Oh, stop. You know, driving out demonic possessions. I don't want people possessed with demons walking around. Please be gone, Satan. I mean, so what are they guilty of? And so then I had to think about it. I'm like, what is the kernel underneath their teeth? Why, why are they so upset? Why can they not see? You've got learned people. I, I don't know how to better way to say that. People who have studied scriptures that should know better. Arguing with Stephen and realizing that they don't have an argument to formulate against. So instead of saying, you know what, maybe you got a point, they double down and become even more blind and deaf to the gospel. And just remember Jesus saying, they have ears and they don't hear, they have eyes and they don't see. That's a bad place to be, especially if you profess yourself to be a righteous person who follows God, like these guys do. I firmly believe, I mean, I think, I think they thought they were doing righteous stuff. These people are coming in and, and poking holes at everything and it's got to stop. But they've created, they've taken the Old Testament, the old system, and they've, they've made an idol out of it. And they don't realize that. In the Old Testament, when, when, people, when the people of God started following idols, they became deaf and blind like the idol that they have fashioned. They couldn't see anymore, they couldn't hear anymore of the truth of, of, of the Lord. So God hands them over to that. Well, if that's your idol and your God, let's see how that goes for you. And this is kind of the situation that they're in. You see, the old system that they're holding on to so dearly says that you must be a good person and follow the law. And if you follow the law, God will bless you and you will be favored. If you mess up in following this law, it's okay. I will hold laundry list of sacrifices that you can do, go find a cow, spill its blood, and everything's great. You know, they have all that, and you just keep on doing that and strive and do that and just hope that the Lord just favors you and blesses you because you're trying. But they forget the part of the law. They forget what God says and that if you break just one part of the law, you are a lawbreaker. Like Jesus said that. Jesus said, you break one, you're, you're a completely lawbreaker. You've, you've transgressed against the whole thing. They don't see that. 
what they see are people having a transformed life, able to understand the wisdom of scriptures and prophecies, able to string things together and not having gone through their system. And it's, it's totally, completely flipped it on end for them. Because the new system in which the, Jesus has set up, he fulfills the old and creates a new and says, it's not so much following the law, it's simple faith in me. You believe in me as the Son of God, the Messiah, who came to love the world. And the Holy Spirit has promised to you to set up permanent, continual residency in your, in your heart. And he's not just sitting there eating popcorn and all the things. He's convicting you continually of the truth of the gospel so that you can walk blamelessly before the Lord following the law. It's a complete reversal 180, but it's been the whole plan the whole time. You see, the old system wasn't in place so that we create law-abiding God citizens. The old system is in place to create a heart that longs for the remedy to help us follow the law. Who is Jesus? And we have already said what that is. Jesus came to this world to save it. He took on the cross for the penalty of us lawbreakers and in once and for all satisfies that penalty so that our faith in him would allow us to walk blamelessly as one who follows the law. We cannot do it perfectly. It has to come through the agent. It has to come through Christ. And so these mucky-mucks are not, it's like two cords that can't reach. They're not plugging that in together. And so they double down. They double down and they seize him. They seize Stephen and bring him into the Sanhedrin. And now the only thing that's different here now is that the popular opinion has swayed. You see, Stephen, just like Jesus and just like the apostles, caused a ruckus with his testimony. Stephen, just like Jesus and the apostles, is now brought before the Sanhedrin. Stephen, just like Jesus and the apostles, has false witness being brought against him. But he doesn't have the popular vote. And the only person that doesn't have the popular vote in front of the Sanhedrin was Jesus. Stephen now is being set up kind of different from the apostles. You see, when Peter and John were brought in front of the Sanhedrin, they all said, we can't kill them because the crowds will overtake us. Now with Stephen, that's going to change. Oh, how quickly the popular vote switches. And now he's being set up more like Christ to go before this court to stand and bear witness to the truth of Christ, knowing that it's probably going to end his life. If we were to go back to Luke chapter 21, Luke records this, this from Jesus to the disciples. Look at Luke chapter 21, verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. And prisons, uh, and deliver you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to shine. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Don't try to come up with an eloquent speech. For I, Jesus, will give you a mouth 
and wisdom, which none of your adversaries, look at this, will be able to withstand or contradict. Stephen's face is shining like the face of an angel because what he is about to say and speak is coming from Jesus himself. And it's going to be a bold witness that will most likely get into the stuff of the authority like a kernel under the teeth. And he will say things, which we'll see next week. I don't want to give next week's sermon away. He will teach and say things that are going to rattle the cages and it's going to end up in his death. Look what he says. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. But you will be hated by all by my, for my name's sake. And not a hair on your head will perish. But your endurance you will, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Because Jesus is saying to them, you're not here to play in this game. You're here to, for the next, to what's coming up next. And so he's got a face of an angel, which is so ironic because it does hearken us back to Moses, the very person that they are saying that Stephen is speaking out against. If you go to Exodus 34... And he, I said 31 last night. You go to Exodus 34, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and has a one-on-one with, with God. This is after the Ten Commandments have been smashed, now they're going to create new ones. And so he's got this little powwow, and they have their time together, and then he comes down off Mount Sinai, Moses does, and as he's coming down, the people all see him, and he's glowing. His skin is, is, is shining. Glow, little glow, worm, glimmer, glimmer. He's coming down, and the crowds are looking at him like, that's freaky. Okay, and they get a little scared, and so he tells them what God tells them to say, and then he puts a veil over his face so that they don't get scared. And this sets up a pattern. Every time Moses goes up to talk to God, he comes down and he's, his face is shining because he's just been with the Lord, he's just seen him. And so he says what he's supposed to say, and then he veils up. Stephen's face shining calls us back to that time in Moses and also calls us to understand that what he is about to say, as what Luke just said, is he's going to speak the truth that comes directly from Jesus Christ. And this truth is going to send him to death, but not before the explosion expansion of this church. He's a bold witness. He's a faithful witness. He's a faithful witness with a face that shines like an angel. The only other thing that I would have for you here is just, it's just extra, but it's an, it was significant to me. How does Luke know what Jesus said to the disciples? Who's Luke's, who's Luke's basically a ghostwriter? Who's Luke working with? Peter works with Mark. Luke is working with Paul. And Paul wasn't necessarily there either with the disciples, so they actually, they're getting information from, from Peter and, and, and such. But in Acts, when it says here that those freedmen of the Cyrenians, and Cyrene is the town Tarsus of where Paul is from. Before Paul became Paul, he was Saul, and he was someone who ravaged the church and authorized the stoning of Stephen. So it goes to show that he is probably with these guys bearing up false witness to end Stephen's life. 
And how great is it to know that when we'll get there, again, I'm preaching several sermons at once, but when we get to the conversion of Paul, where God, where Christ renders him truly blind, you're going to be blind, I'll make you blind, and, the, the, and then he truly sees that God would call upon this person who has ravaged the church, who has been who put false witness against a brother, who has done all the things that you ought not to do, and yet still snatches him up and sets him right. It's just a little tick for him. Isn't that a great hope for all of us that we can mess up hugely and and the Lord will still work with us, still call us into action if if we're just faithful? Faith, Holy Spirit residing and abiding in us, righteous living, faithful witness with the face of an angel. So what does this mean for all of us? What's our takeaway here with all of these things? Paul goes on in the Philippians and says that he wants to be joined with Christ and all the great things that come with that, but also to join with him in his sufferings. Who prays to suffer? Paul does, apparently. But basically says, sign me up for such bold and courageous witness that I would not be afraid of the sufferings that are going to come and continue to just share my heart. I was listening to a sermon from David Guzik that said, don't wait until you're not afraid to share your heart for Christ with someone else. You're always going to be afraid. I'm afraid. There's been conversations where I've ducked out of that I should have stayed in and I didn't. Don't wait to do it. And I think our fear comes from we're we're afraid we won't have the right words to say or we're afraid of what they're going to say back to us. But Jesus says, don't in that time that you got to bear witness, I'll give you the words. And you don't have to go up to somebody and say, hey, listen, John 3.16, you got to read it. You just go up to someone and just, you know, share your heart, get to know them, have some coffee. And as they get to know you, they begin to hear about the joy that you have in Christ and you get to share that with them. Rome wasn't built in a day. Just take your time and get to know people. Charles Spurgeon says this, if you're going to preach on the truth of heaven, do so with the face of an angel. But if you're going to share about the truth of hell, your regular face will do just fine. (laughs) Stephen, you, me, normal Joe Schmo people, or Jane Schmoes, we responded to the gospel And by responding to the gospel, let us love, live, serve, share Jesus Christ wherever we go as a faithful witness with faces that shine like angels. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you for your truth, your gospel, the the things that just get under our teeth and agitate us to the point where we want to find the resolution. For those of us in this room who are fighting you, who are turning a deaf ear to you. Lord, break through. Let them bump into faces as they leave and let them see the shining light that you have bestowed upon their life and stir in them a desire to want to know more. And if it's not in this room, if it's in our our, our places of work, our school, our family, our neighborhood, put people in our path and give us the courage and the wisdom to speak truth and love so that they may know you. For this is what you're doing. This is what you're setting up in this this church and churches all over. 
not to warm a pew on a Sunday morning for worship, but to be sent and to have compassion and love and care for others, to shine bright in a darkened world with faces that look like angels. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.